turning the microphone on, going to record, got inspired by Draymond Green, who is able to just apparently just turn the microphone on after games, record the podcast, give his reaction. I now know he has a producer, but I did like to think that it was him cutting it, saving this thing as an MP3, exporting it, and then uploading it to Libsyn, typing the description, hitting publish. And I am not an NBA player, so just hearing my thoughts is just my random thoughts is probably not interesting. I'm going to need to anchor it to something, so I'm going to talk books that I've read recently. The title of this is What I Read in May 2022, and I'll just try to share a book quote from everything, each of these different books. So I have book quotes here from five, uh, let's call it four books right now. Uh, let's call it five. And I'll just do one quote from each of these books. The first one is The 90s by Chuck Klosterman. This is a great book. If you have any memories growing up in the 90s, then you'll enjoy this. I think the thing that it made me I, not changed my mind about, I guess like changed my mind. That can be a, a nice way to look at a book. What did it change your mind about? And this made me realize that I didn't understand what was going on in the world around me. I guess I, I probably, I, I knew that. Like I was a kid growing up in the nineties. I knew that I like, I know that I didn't understand it fully. So this helped me to understand, I guess, like the context of the world at the time and understand probably like in some ways what my parents were, what they were learning from the news, what, what, how they were perceiving it. Maybe though I'm guessing my immigrant parents had a different view of pop culture than say Chuck Klosterman. Um, but yeah, it was a good read just hearing about like different important things in pop culture. Um, Nirvana, Mike Tyson, Tupac, Seinfeld, Friends, The Matrix, and to understand how not necessarily that these all things all fit together, but they were all uh, part of the 90s. And then, yeah, part of it with the internet shaping things, though that probably had an even bigger effect on, well, with each like subsequent decade. Um, but it was, yeah, again, like, Interesting to like read about the nineties and then just remember like how I learned about these things. Cause not, not too many of these things were brand new to me. I knew these things happened. I knew like Kurt Cobain committed suicide. I knew Mike Tyson lost to Buster Douglas and Tupac died. I don't know that I knew that these knew about these things happening in real time. I Tupac dying is the one that I do remember because my brother was kind of following it um, in the newspaper. So we would find out probably like a day later. Um, maybe it was on the news as well. But I remember my brother being very, very sad. Well, it, you know, you'd, you'd read in the paper, oh, he got shot. And then eventually you would, you know, uh, a week later, um, he dies. He passes away. And... My brother was was just devastated. So um, reading about that and Chuck Klosterman points out, it's not like a secret or anything, like Tupac went to a 
prominent high school in Baltimore for acting and he danced in the Nutcracker. And I think it was interesting to see like this. It's not like method acting, but in a way he began to evolve into a gangster rapper. And that's not who he was in high school. And then began to truly like live that life until it ended up in um, him and Notorious Big both getting shot in a weird East Coast, West Coast battle. It was weird in that information doesn't didn't travel that quickly back then. So um, that kind of makes more sense with the internet now and with mobile devices and FaceTime and it's going like live on Instagram and streaming and those kinds of things. You can actually have regular communication with someone you hate on a different coast where it wasn't quite as easy back then. And that is kind of a theme through the book that the internet does make things more prominent or did make things more prominent. And yeah, just, um, he just writes about how that changed pop culture as well. So getting to a quote, he says, let's see, there's always a disconnect between the world we seem to remember and the world that actually was. What's complicated about the 1990s is the central illusion is that the central illusion is memory itself. This is just that idea that, like, I mean, as I've gotten older, I realize all my memories are just pretty terrible. Not terrible as in, like, bad, that they're bad memories, but uh, inaccurate. I was, <laughs> this, this is not, like, a, a 90s memory. This is just my cousin Alan visited me last week, and we went to this Warriors watch party, which is great. 25 bucks, and then... You don't need to like drink too much to feel like you were at the game in some way. By I don't think this is a hot take. I think this is just an okay take that um, if you're going to get nosebleed seats, I think a watch party is just as good as nosebleed seats at an actual game because at an actual game, you do end up kind of watching a bunch on the screen. And if you're going to be doing that, just price-wise as well, $25 versus nosebleeds where, you know, you could pay 150 to 3 like 250 and above for nosebleeds. And you're going to end up um yeah, watching the screen anyway. Better to watch the screen with um the commentary going on. So it, it's like you're at home with um yeah, like the actual broadcast. It was great. Um, the energy was there from the fans, all that. And I'm, I'm definitely getting away from like talking about this nineties book. Um, oh yeah. Memory itself. So yeah, we, we watched that game and then I was telling him later, I was like, oh man, remember when we watched, um, game seven of the Cavaliers comeback when they came back from three, from being down, uh, one to three. And we watched game seven. It was great. Kyrie hit that shot. And then Alan said, no, we we didn't watch that together. We were at, he said, I I watched that with my dad at Bob's Burgers. And I said, like, no way. Like, this is a pretty distinct memory for me that we watched it together. And then I, of course, did the thing where I start to secretly look on my phone to prove him wrong and then find out that I was wrong. And I found like the date for game seven, went back. He, he, Alan was like, oh yeah, I remember distinctly because it was Father's Day. So 
went into Google Photos, pulled the date, and then the, sure enough, there it is. It's um, Game 7. I took a few photos of the TV of Game 7, and I am watching alone in my studio in New York. Um, instead of like this fun memory where I'm watching with my dad and cousins in Washington, it's this sad one where I'm watching alone. Um, and I don't, yeah, that's just how we, it, it did turn out. We did watch like, I think it was like game five or six together. So that's what I mix it up with. But, um, in the nineties, Chuck Klosterman just talks about how certain he's trying to write a, a bit of like a history of like what actually happened. He's not putting everything through this lens of, Oh, now that we've seen how things turned out, this is how the nineties shaped the world. And that's sort of thing. He's more just like trying to lay out. This is actually what happened in the nineties. And one of the things he talks about is just, um, the OJ Simpson trial and how it's incorrect, how people kind of have this hindsight, or like what people, how people say it went down versus like what actually happened based on like articles and I guess like, I don't know, polls is the right word, but like the public perception that was recorded in newspapers that um, a lot of people now think like, oh, it was, it, it's, he was guilty, but everyone knew he was going to um, be found not guilty. And it wasn't like that at all. It was just a lot of people thought, um, that he was going to go to jail and these things weren't obvious and we can collectively as like a society culture, um, look back at these things and think these things were obvious. Um, but yeah, it's just not the case. And then let's see. I think, I think that's enough on that though. He does have this fun phrase or like thing in the book about just like levels of crazy as far as not, not quite like people, but just, um, events that happened where with Mike Tyson, when he bit off Vander Holyfield's ear in the middle of the boxing ring, it, that event, like that happening was so crazy that you're able to say that to another person completely clearly. And they're still going to ask you to repeat yourself because <laughs> that's just, just reading that it, it just sounds nuts. Okay. So that's, it for Chuck Klosterman, the nineties, a book. I really did enjoy reading this. I guess like one other thing I, I grew up, um, wait, in Japan for elementary school and then moved to Washington state and about like a couple hours from Seattle. I did not understand. This is one of the things like I didn't quite understand how big Nirvana was and how big grunge music really was and how influential it was and just that it kind of was everything like um music wise for young people at the time um but anyway next book is let's see here we go van lathan it's a book called fat crazy and tired so van lathan is i, I know him through not not i know uh, like who he is like not i don't know him personally um but I listen to him uh, when he appears on like Bill Simmons podcast or the rewatchables where my favorite line from him is from the Terminator two rewatchables where he just says like, Oh yes, yeah, so, you know, like 
you want like a souvenir from Terminator 2. Well, my dad bought the actual shotgun itself that is in that movie where like, not not the actual movie prop, but the same model of shotgun, the like spin action rifle or spin action like shotgun. Um, but anyway, I'll just like jump to a quote here. So he says, I had a basketball coach who used to have a great saying. There's no such thing as a 15-point shot. If you're down 15, you're not going to get it back right away. For me, I had to walk to the scale every day knowing it wasn't going to show me my goal weight. I had to do that for a year. The only way that you can do that is if your mind is different. Sometimes progress has to be the reward. And it's very hard to see when you're first starting out. And what this reminded me of is NBA Jam Tournament Edition, where there are four-point shots, five-point shots, up to a nine-point shot with the hot spots and also rock and jock mtv rock and jock did have i think it was a 25 point shot on a 25 foot hoop but that's not how life is it is more like uh, what van lathan talks about is this is the whole thing of like find a way to enjoy the journey or find those like small things to celebrate along the way even if you do have um the goal weight and yeah this is kind of like changing the mindset with say like working out to focus on it's the input goal versus the output goal um lagging measures and lead measures or i guess that's reverse so like lead measures lag measures um doing the workout completing the workout that's enough to to celebrate you don't have to wait withhold your celebration withhold all of that until you hit your goal weight that said don't celebrate with you know food if you do you'll never hit your goal one thing with this book is he does describe some of his mom's cooking and just like the upbringing and how food was very important and it was kind of like how his mom showed love to the family and it's just he just has mac and cheese and talks about all this good food it made me very hungry and i remember when i read this we were on a flight i think it was our trip to new york we were coming back from new york on the way to we had a layover in san diego and in the san diego airport there's a phil's barbecue and sure enough i overate right after reading this book um i think i actually did complete it or it was near the end i just remember thinking like oh man this kind of did the opposite of maybe what the book intended i did enjoy the book and it gave me insight into who van lathan is i I didn't really know very much about his background and then yeah he just talks about this lifelong pursuit of uh better health both mentally and physically the next book is plays well with others so this is a book by eric barker He's the author of Barking Up the Wrong Tree, which is kind of a special book for this podcast because Wally and I did, I think, like three episodes on uh, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. And it was around the time that we started this podcast. It was so that's 2017. And it has been five years that we were doing this. And that kind of uh, blows my mind a little bit and is also one of these things where it's a little disappointing in that we haven't kept it going consistently but when i look back that was one of the most fun periods as far as like doing the creator stuff on the side as a hobby and it was a reminder that building things with other people can be one of the best ways to 
keep the friendship going. I think one thing that was great about doing the podcast was just that it was this weekly thing to catch up, have a conversation for an hour. No one was listening. A few people were listening. Thank you. I think you're still the few people listening. Um, and Wally and I have always talked about like, oh, we're going to do this again. We're going to start recording again. And we just haven't done it, but I am still hopeful that we will and we'll find a time to schedule it. In the meantime, you're going to get highlights from books with me alone. Okay. So plays well with others. Again, it's about relationships. He talks about romantic relationships and then, um, your friends, enemies, and then also like finding a community and how important that can be as well. Um, but I, I, I really enjoyed this book. I have like, it's like hundreds of highlights here. Definitely recommend it. Fun read. Uh, I do just like how Eric Barker writes. I used to have this weekly plan thing. And then at the top of it, it would be like this reminder to read a few different articles, just like skim them uh, since I was doing it every week, just to like remember the things from it. And a few of those, it was like two or three of them were Eric Barker articles on like time management, productivity, prioritization, and that sort of thing. I should re go back through those actually, but um, I have always enjoyed his writing. He writes with a lot of, he injects a lot of humor into his writing and, um, but it is like science-based. He's taking research papers, the findings in them, and then uh, making them more digestible for people like me who are not going to read this foundational research. So the first highlight from this book he tells a story about it's and it's not a like fictional story it's a, something that actually happened so it's uh with Jerry Falwell versus Larry Flint and this was a huge legal battle they uh probably put like millions of dollars into this legal battle against each other and you would think that they would hate each other by the end of it and they, they did by the end of it but then over the years following that they kept in touch continued to see each other and then were able to build a friendship and one of the strong, a very strong friendship where um, I should have looked this up, but one of them speaks at the other's funeral. It's a story about overcoming these political differences and connecting um, through, I guess, like humanity and friendship. And the quote here is, he says, but eventually it came to pass that they had been not enemies longer than they had been enemies over the ensuing years they changed each other's minds about well nothing but they made time for each other they went out of their way to see each other that's the end of the quote and what i wrote here uh, as a note while i was reading it is the opposite is true now people spend no time with each other and look for the smallest wedge of disagreement to push others away entirely because you can reach others who agree with every single thing you do and this is more a comment i think on say like social media where it, it becomes very easy to just hate someone based on like one tweet that they've written. Um, and this is just some person in the world who you've never met in real life. And uh, you just feel outraged by like some sentence that they wrote. And it can be this thing that like, if you met them in person, maybe you would be friends, but we have this ability to curate who we follow and then create a list of people who agree with every single thought that we have you can just cherry pick and then find like uh i need to find someone that agrees with this thing and it's probably not, not very healthy and i have this other quote it's not from this book but it was from 
an article that I read recently, and this is the quote from Edward O. Wilson. He says, the real problem of humanity is the following. We have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. That's the end of the quote. But it is this thing where uh, technology has given us way too much access to uh, different information, and it does make the world smaller. Um, and it, it's definitely like a good thing, but there are ways that, of course, it's a bad thing where I think the view can be that technology is neutral and it just depends how you use it. Um, but maybe our brains are not ready to have a thousand yes men around us all the time in our pocket. And there is a quote in this book, um, plays well with others, but he's quoting someone else. So here it is. He says, Conrad Zeus, who is considered the father of the modern computer, said, the danger that computers will become like humans is not as great as the danger that humans will become like computers. That's the end of the quote. Not too many thoughts here. I just wanted to say that to transition into this next book. It is called Building a Second Brain by Tiago Forte. So this is like my current book that I'm reading. It is about note-taking. Um, I It's based on a course that Tiago Forte runs called Building a Second Brain or Build a Second Brain. And yeah, it's about note-taking, building up a note-taking system where you have your notes that you're taking on all these different things, you organize them, and then you can link them together and give yourself a mind like water where, as mentioned before, we have access to all this information. It's a fire hose. It's become a bigger and bigger fire hose. Um, and organizing that can be important, especially if you're trying to uh, create things with that information. You want to be able to pull it up quickly um, and at the same time not get distracted by all of the new information that's coming today. There's this, so Tiago Forte also works closely with David Perel. They both have, David Perel runs this other writing course called Rite of Passage. And he has this article, it's a short article, but he just talks about, he tells a story about being in an Uber with his friends and then just sitting back, not looking at his phone and realizing, obviously, like, everyone's kind of always on their phones. It makes, like, you can picture that. You hop in an Uber with friends, everyone checks their phones. That's like a, a natural point to check your phone. And then what he realizes, oh, everyone is looking at content that was created in the last 24 hours. And probably within the last hour, in a lot of cases, if everyone's checking Twitter or Instagram. Um, anyway, that just goes to show, like, this fire hose is just things made in the last day. There's just a fire hose of information. Um, so if you have the note-taking system, you can be a little more deliberate about having the quality information rise to the top, be able to retrieve that rather than just recent information. Um and I'm still reading this, but it is a nice review of uh, the course. And he says, that this is the quote that I have here. We spend countless hours reading, listening to, and watching other people's opinions about what we should do, how we should think, and how we should live, but make comparatively little effort applying that knowledge and making it our own. So much of the time we are information hoarders, stockpiling endless amounts of well-intentioned content that only in ends up increasing our anxiety. That's the end of the quote. And this is kind of this idea that, hey, like you have control over these fire hoses, actually. Like, uh, as mentioned before, like, yes, 
Um, sometimes you can have too much access to things. You can curate it in a way where you just only read things you agree with. Um, but you have the ability also to look at things that you disagree with, um, just to have other perspectives. And then you can also turn some of these things off. And reading this quote kind of made me want to record this podcast in that it reminded me that I'd listen to all of these things and read these things um, with some intention to create things from them, make videos, make the podcast, write blog posts. And I haven't really been doing that in this year, not as much as I would like to. So this was kind of a push to like just record an episode and get back into that routine of making things each week. The podcast is probably like the most fun thing. I've said that like many times, even doing it alone. It is the most fun thing, the least stressful thing. I'll say that like writing alone is probably like the most stressful thing. Puts me in a bad mood after. I'm almost always in like a bad mood after I sit down and I'm like, oh, I'm going to like write an essay or like write a long blog post. And um, I rarely ever feel that way doing the podcast. So I'm just going to do the podcast. It's the easiest thing. It's the thing that is, I guess, like most joyful if I've the Warriors won a championship and it's always that Steve Kerr thing of finding ways to bring joy to the organization, to the team, have them play with joy. Kevin Durant made fun of it and then left the team. Um, but I have, I have not always rooted for the Warriors pretty much always have rooted against them, but I have always liked that idea of playing with joy. And I do like a lot of the players that are on their team. And just a random thing, uh, speaking of just having recent news, uh, recent information come up instead of the quality information. One of the recent things that happened in, right before the last game of the finals was the Clay Thompson impersonator. Little known fact, I think, is he runs, or he used to run, I think he probably is still the owner, one of the biggest Labrador YouTube channels called Life of Labradors which has brought a lot of joy to me and Amy's life in the last year. So that, I always get a kick out of that, that this Clay Thompson impersonator, he, uh, his main channel has like 8 million viewers where he does things like this and does the similar to like what Mr. Beast used to do, where it's um, kind of on the street, give someone like $10,000 or like try to prank people at the gym and that sort of thing. But um, his other channel was this um, channel about, his Labrador retrievers. I think he had like three, three of. Them. Well, he it started with one, had four, and then the first one passed away at five years old. Um, shout out Chiefy, and he has this tribute video for him, or it's two videos. So one of them shows like the last day, and he takes Chief for a full day of just like he just says like I'm going to spoil this dog rotten. Um, and then he has another video where it's just like a highlight reel showing his life from being a puppy to um, all the way till you know, he passes away. And I don't watch that video because it makes me cry. So anyway, I'm going to go play with Booster, my Labrador, and I do have a Clay Thompson jersey for whatever reason. I don't root for them, but I'm happy to buy the jersey after a few drinks at the arena with friends. Thanks for listening.